0: Hi everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Risk with Dr. Naveen Agarwal, where each week we talk about a topic related to risk management of medical devices. I'm your host, Naveen Agarwal, Principal and Founder at Achieve, where my personal mission is to help you achieve success in risk management. In this episode, I'm joined by Michael Bakanuso, who has been working with artificial intelligence and machine learning-enabled medical devices not only from the engineering perspective, but also from the quality and regulatory side. So here's a good understanding of what the regulatory authorities are looking for and how they evaluate the benefit-risk of these medical devices. We had this conversation in front of a live audience as part of the Let's Talk Risk series in a LinkedIn audio event. You're about to hear a recording of our conversation. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. So Michael, with that, um, welcome. Please uh, introduce yourself a little bit uh, to our audience and uh, share a little bit of a personal story. What got you into this role? And uh, what are you particularly excited about working with AI ML devices?
1: Sure. Uh, so thank you, Devine, for having me. Uh, an old radio joke. I'd like to say I'm a longtime listener and a first-time caller. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'll talk a little bit about my background. Uh, I'm originally a electrical engineer. Uh, Electrical and software engineer. Um, my bachelor's was from Stevens Institute of Technology. After uh, undergrad, I worked in avionics system design for a company called Safe Flight Instrument Corporation mm-hmm. uh, out of White Plains, New York. So for about eight years, I was doing uh, PCB design, um, but also working with automated testing. I was working with the Quality department on incoming inspection of parts I was doing FMEA analysis of a uh, very very comprehensive look of you know what happens what's the expected lifetime of each particular resistor capacitor yeah. transistor what happens when you put them all in one big assembly and it's running for 25,000 hours at whatever pressure whatever temperature uh, so I started getting a little more insight, Interest into you know the real world application of engineering, which I feel that's where that's where quality is. Uh-huh. And after some time, I decided um, I, wanted, I wanted to move on. I wanted to progress a little bit and I moved to become a quality engineer at Densupply Sirona, medical device manufacturer. Uh, there the, the vision I was with was with the uh, x-ray, and X-ray adjacent equipment, so all the the sensors they pop in your mouth when they take your X-ray, and make sure you have no cavities. Uh, make sure that you know you're also not being exposed to harmful amounts of radiation. What kind of controls are involved in that? And continued my uh, interest in development in medical devices, in quality engineering, in regulatory. A little more interest in regulatory, and. Then after a few years there, I progressed on to where I am now at Kios Medical, who at the time the flagship product was Kios Decision Support Progress, which is an AI ML software as a medical device, uh, which the radiologist takes in. Uh, they'll put the ultrasound images and draw a region of interest. And within several seconds, we say, with a very very high likelihood where it is on uh the different scales uh, from benign to malignant different countries use different different scales some use a one to four some use a one to five some use different uh classification systems and our latest product is breast and thyroid
0: so
1: and we're also looking at further indications and it's you know, not, it's not just making a better product for the end user. It's also safety and effectiveness. <laughs> and how do we make the underlying engine better? Nice, nice. And yeah.
0: you're also actually helping um, diagnosis and detection of these really serious diseases or conditions early, right? That's, that's one of the major advantage of AI ML. Uh, so before we go any further, you know, AI ML, people use them together what does it mean and is it a difference between the two I am very curious to hear that
1: there's that's a good question there's definitely a difference and they do tend to get conflated not even not even just in uh, the industry by the people who work with one and or both but you know in in the media you know you're seeing all kinds of stuff about AI Mm -hmm. but is it really AI or is it just ML or Mm -hmm. is it AI without ML and I think a, a good simple uh, analogy, I like to use analogies, I like to use some sports analogies too, is when, when you go um, to the batting cages, right, and there's a machine that throws the ball at you, <laughs> right, and you're swinging. The act of it throwing the ball, that's artificial intelligence. <laughs> at a very rudimentary level. It's a machine, and it's doing something that a human can do. It's doing it repeatedly. Machine learning would be if that pitching machine had a little more uh, brain power to it and it could mimic different patterns in throwing. If it could, you know, spoof you, if it could, uh, you know, throw a curveball at you, a a literal curveball at you. Right? So, So machine learning is the underlying algorithm within the product that's helping it maintain and improve. Got you. And the machine learning is the overall, you know, Uh, sorry, the artificial intelligence aspect of it's performing an action that a human could theoretically do. Probably doing it a lot faster, but it's still something that a human could do. That is... I I like to use analogies. No, I think this is is brilliant. This (laughs) is brilliant. It helps
0: me get it because with machine learning, what we are hoping to achieve is sort of better result, Uh better outcome. We are learning. And in some ways, human beings also get better through learning right awesome awesome so let's let's jump right into that you mentioned a couple of products you're working on we don't necessarily need to go into those products but i'm very curious to hear from your perspective as both an engineer and a quality regulatory professional what are some of the key issues you face when you are developing these products and trying to get them through the gate of regulatory you know review and approval
1: i would say with software is a medical device broadly and more specifically with AI and ML devices um, the whole idea of risk is very different from you know you're manufacturing widgets right you're making a thousand pieces a day X number are going to fail how do you fix that Uh, with software you know you have one product right and it either passed all its tests or it didn't the risks are it passed the tests but you didn't account for what's going to happen in real life. You didn't account for an edge case or you said it's only an edge case. It's unlikely to happen, but it actually might happen more often than you think. <laughs> um, considering the frequency and the period of use of a product, right? considering the technical knowledge of the end user, of the uh, administrator or serv- uh, you know, IT department, where you deploy your product, how are their environments going to impact your product? And you might not be able to immediately perceive that. You know, each, each sandbox is going to be a little bit different.
0: <laughs> Interesting. So there's a lot of kind of uh, maybe a lot more impact of the environment in which the AI ML product is being used compared to maybe other conventional medical devices. Is that what you're trying to say?
1: I would I would say it's a good yeah that that's a good point that you know one thing we found with deploying to different different medical facilities no no two are exactly the same mm-hmm. right there's always some some server has some unique aspect to it some thing is set up the way it has been and it can't be changed and we have to figure out how to work with it or we have to figure out how certain types of images that may not be one hundred percent compliant with the input we normally process. How do how do we process those? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. How do we work with those?
2: Mm-hmm. And we've gotten
1: better at kind of, uh, you know, we we have done our own machine learning on ourselves, right? Yeah. We're, we're trying to improve and, and try to figure out, like, okay, what are some force, you know, some foreseeable events? What are likely server settings? What are likely uh, misuses by a user, by different types of users.
0: Got you. So uh, I know we, we basically wanted to focus on the theme of benefit risk from a regulatory cool. point of view. Uh, could you say a little bit more about how the regulatory authorities view these products and how they would evaluate benefit risk?
1: So I think they all tend to generally look at AI and ML devices. Uh, the benefits of it are reduction in time spent by medical professionals um, and improvement in overall accuracy mm-hmm. from uh, but my background is with image processing so that's what I'm familiar with but I'm sure there's plenty of other applications for it um, you know the human eye can only look at something for so long and tell you it's that object for so long mm-hmm. and then you wait a while and you might see it a little bit differently but Software as a medical device based on machine learning, which has seen thousands upon thousands of images and doesn't get tired, it doesn't need a coffee break. (laughs) It's probably going to give you more repeatable results and more reliable results more frequently, and then pass that information on to a doctor who, with fresh eyes, can say, Hey, this is, you know, I didn't have to spend the whole day looking at images. I got to spend the whole day actually, you know, talking to my patients. Mm-hmm. Yes, I only had to spend a little bit of time working with the images, annotating them, delving deeper. I can spend more time with the patients, provide more point of care, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's basically think of we should
0: think of this as an assistant, not the I, decision I, maker.
1: I think that's the that's the strongest argument for AI and ML in medical devices, having another pair of eyes, having another pair of ears, but one, you know, something that doesn't get hired, something that's seen tons of data mm-hmm. and is completely
0: unfazed by it. So uh, to that point, I know we talked about this briefly in, in, in our conversation before we went live. It depends upon how it has learned, what kind of data we have used to feed this device during development to learn and whether there's
1: any bias in it. Can you say a little bit more about that? Sure. Um, one I don't want to say it's a hurdle, but one one thing which several regulatory bodies have pointed out and I'm talking with other other professionals in software as a medical device, they've encountered this as well. A lot of regulatory bodies are getting more concerned with information bias. Right? You say your product was tested with 10,000 images what was the actual demographic breakdown of them right what was the age group you know what were what were the age groups what were the ethnic groups what were the people with different medical histories how what were their subsets within the population of your data and figuring out a way to say okay we will admit that maybe we didn't Fully tested against this specific country's breakdown of these demographics, uh-huh. but give us the data on that, and we'll we'll take a subset of our images which match your country's demographics or your uh, population's demographics, and we'll run it on that, and uh-huh. we'll say it's producing the same results without bias got as we previously got you, got you.
0: So, so they want to make sure that the the device has learned. I keep calling it device because it's a device, but you know, let's mm-hmm. say it's a, it's a program, it's a software. It has mm-hmm. learned to take the right action, produce the right result, regardless of these variations we might see. You know, if it's a you know baseball throwing machine that you talked about, right? If a child is in front of the machine, the machine should be smart enough not to throw a ball that is intended for an adult player, right? Exactly. Okay, so we want a smart machine that that knows what they are doing and the action the result it produces is predictable and reliable. It's, it's, and we want to remove bias. That's that's the main idea that you're talking about.
1: Yes, that's correct.
0: So uh, just, just roughly, is that hard to do? How difficult is it to actually prove that you don't
1: have bias? I wouldn't say it's difficult, but it's not the easiest lift. I think having a lot of it, you know, again, it's going to depend on data right if you have good data coming in you're most likely going to have good data coming out figuring out a way to get that data about the different subsets of the populations and run it through your process and make sure that your process is running as it should and all its sub processes are running as they should and it's still giving you the same output you would expect it to give got it So
0: it's a matter of basically testing that you don't have bias rather than designing in from the beginning that you don't have bias.
1: Yeah, I think it's honestly, it's probably harder to try to design it in from the beginning, Yeah, which is, you know, usually in engineering, you try to put your fail safes in up front. In this case, it's more of a reactive process.
0: Yeah. So, you know, there's just a crazy idea that just got into my mind is that, a human being is testing if a AI AIML device is biased or not. That's kind of interesting for me to to think about because we as human beings have our own biases. So the way you test for bias may itself actually lead to a biased result. Right. Is that not possible? So anyway, I got distracted a little bit yeah. because I'm so excited <laughs> about this. I know we, we're gonna we
1: have Yeah, we, we did have some back and forth with, you know, different regulatory bodies and yeah. I, I know others have said this that in they say well is this generalized to our population we say okay what's you know what are the percentages that we need to know yeah we'll gladly provide that output we'll gladly provide that information and test it we just need the data from you so the insight here really is that knowing what
0: we know we should facilitate a good discussion with regulatory authorities so that we can answer the question appropriately expecting that their questions themselves may be biased based on their experiences.
1: Yeah. I mean, we both sides have patient safety and effectiveness of a medical device at heart. Yeah. And yeah. So it's trying to meet them where they are. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Very Give cool. Give us the information and we'll feed it in.
0: Very cool. I know we're going to run against the clock very soon, so I'm going to invite audience participation, but very quickly, I want to hear from you, uh, Mike, where is this field going as far as medical devices is concerned? Can you, you know, uh, look into the future three four five years ahead what do you see
1: i think we're going to see i think ai and ml for medical devices it's going to move beyond just helping
2: Uh
1: a medical professional in terms of a second opinion Uh i think where it's going to be progressing in the the next immediate step i think will be not, you know, continuing to improve how much time doctors spent doing doctor work and not uh-huh. just uh, paperwork, to put uh-huh. it lightly. Uh-huh. I'm not selling them short by any means. I'm just, I, I know a lot of medical professionals say they spend an inordinate amount of time on bureaucracy and paperwork when uh-huh. they couldn't be providing medical care. But I think that AI and NL, the next step will be enhancing the effectiveness of those medical professionals by pushing the data directly to them of this patient is at risk mm-hmm. this patient is at risk not just this patient you know give this another chance give this another look i think the next steps will be completely weeding out uh, patients who don't need immediate care right got you got you and saying that this you know this person is at a low risk this person is at no risk focus on you know kind of uh, i guess triage might be yeah,
0: more like a decision-making.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's going to be the next immediate step. So, you know, I, I know a lot of us
0: are naturally kind of um, concerned about things that we don't understand very well. And when we hear something like that, uh, we might think about, oh my gosh, uh, what if I'm screened out even though I need the care? What if AI ML is not that's that smart? And, you know, I, I know maybe many people have those concerns, but I know we can go into a lot of those tangents. But Uh at this time, I'm going to invite audience participation guys. I know David is already raising his hand, so I'm going to bring him on. Uh, Guys, please don't wait. If you indicate that you're interested, I'm going to bring you on stage and um, have you participate in this conversation. David, please uh, go ahead and and share what you have in mind. Thank you, Naveen. Uh, Thank you, Michael. This
1: is fascinating. Um, I was curious. You had talked about or you were answering the question from Naveen about where some of the risks are. And it seemed to me, at least the ones you mentioned, are right at the inflection point of where the machines and the humans intersect. And so how well does that human understand, assess, and then probably even work with other humans to make a decision? Can you talk a little bit more about that part of it? Because it seems like that's where not only the risk exists, or a lot of it, but also the opportunity to improve things. Yeah, I think the, the the human element is always an interesting one, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's always there, too. <laughs> yeah, Eventually it gets tired, but it's going to be there, whether or not you like it. Uh, you know, considering technical knowledge and considering who the end user is and considering how to address them and how they're going to interact with your device and how they're going to take, take from what they've done with their device and how they're going to interact with others and trying to bake in as many fail-safes and risk mitigation on your side as you can.
0: Mm-hmm. So we'll have to develop a better understanding of the human-machine interface, right? That's what I'm hearing yeah. you say and bring that back into the design process to address them very early on. So,
1: yeah, like, like which elements are medical professionals likely to use within your product which aspects of it are more likely to be you know that a network admin or an it uh, professional <laughs> which parts are they going to interact with roles right. right figuring out yeah different roles different um user profiles within your software and figuring out that you know a change made by a network setting isn't going to impact you know how the Medical professional does yeah. their job, their yeah.
0: software. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, okay, Vishwas Rao, I'm going to invite you to unmute your mic and share what you have in mind.
1: Thank you, Navi, and Michael, for my presentation. My question is mostly uh, around the trust of the AI and ML models. Let's say there like, is a evolution of trust, right? Initially, we do not trust those outputs of the model. Then later stage, we actually trust, but we by all then. Uh, trust but verify some. So, until and unless there is some parallel system which we can have in place to see if the output of these models are within the boundaries, uh, we cannot trust those. At the same time, we need to have some kind of feedback loop. We can really improve those models. Any thoughts around those aspects of the use of AI and human in, in many that's a That's a very good question. And we've had um, you know, re- regulatory bodies and regulatory assessments have asked, you know, as you improve your device, how are you making sure it's still safe and effective? And how do you make sure that you're still getting results that are as good or better than what you've previously done? And a lot of that, it, serious, it just goes back to um, validation and bench testing, and you know, tweaked the uh, underlying engine do if you want to call it that. Uh and then running it against, you know, your newly acquired data as well as the original batch of data from when you first built the thing. And what's it gonna say about the original, let's say five thousand images that you fed it based on the state of the software now, and compare that to what it said, let's say four years ago. <laughs> Yeah, and then comparing and contrasting the outputs and the results from that.
0: And in terms of the parallel uh, sort of verification or or comparison with an expert, right? I, I know that models are trained based on you know how an expert might classify a certain image, and prediction is in also in terms of what an expert would say, right? Mike, is that correct? My understanding.
1: Yeah, that's correct.
0: Okay. So I know we can go into a lot of more detail on that, but I hope that answers uh, that question. Thank you for asking. Uh, Ed, you, welcome. Please unmute your mic and share what you have in mind.
2: Sure, Naveen. Uh, I uh, have been a little late getting in, so I missed uh, some of this really interesting conversation. Unfortunately, I had another call. Uh, but um, I wanted to point out that on the risk management side, since this is, Let's talk risk. Um the uh, uh AAMI and BSI got together and created a uh guidance document, uh an application of 14971 to uh artificial intelligence, machine learning and artificial intelligence and in title. It's being promoted um to uh ISO as a potential uh ISO document. So um It's been pretty widely, quickly received, but it's how to um, apply 14971 in this arena and risk management. So it's something that people that are working in this arena need to uh, look at. And um, I know some of the authors, and they're really top-notch people in this area. So um, you should get out and, and look at it. And that's my comment.
0: Excellent, Ed. Thanks for sharing it. I appreciate that, and I think in future uh, we will we should probably dig deeper into that and discuss that some more. So, uh, Michael, while uh, I really want you guys to participate, I don't see any other hands being raised. So, please let me know what you guys are thinking about, any opinions, questions, perspectives. Uh, but while I wait, Michael, I wanted to you know just ask you your experience uh, moving from engineering to QA, RA, and now working in AI ML space. Uh, what can quality regulatory professionals learn from that? And how, do, how can we actually help advance this field with our unique knowledge and experience? Can you say a little bit more about that?
1: Sure. I think having gone from a pure engineering background straight, you know, gradually over to regulatory and quality, uh, but still working with product development and different engineering departments over the last several years... I think understanding that they're trying to design something optimally is key Uh you're taught in engineering design it optimally Uh um what regulatory bodies want to see is it's designed safely Uh so the fastest you know the fastest car may not necessarily be Uh the safest right (laughs) um what sort of you know does it have seatbelts does it have airbags that's that's a good analogy right you know Mm -hmm. the vast majority of cars on the road are affordable and safe and they don't have all the bells and whistles right they're not (laughs) Ferraris yeah yeah I, I think understanding that the engineering mindset of designing something optimally versus designing something for compliance is something that regulatory quality professionals need to keep in mind right being When I was an engineer, it was always the regulatory. uh, We got to do this checklist. We have to make sure that this is trace. There's traceability Uh through here, but understanding why it's being done really helps. Uh Right, communication is key. So you make a good point that quality regulatory
0: affairs professionals can play a very key role in facilitating this internal discussion and decision making. Right. We don't want to swing the pendulum one way or another. We don't want to also overwhelm the organization with only safety concerns. We also don't want to let the organization go, you know, in in the name of optimal design to the other right. end. So I think we play a very critical role in helping to facilitate this conversation. Is that a good understanding?
1: Yeah, that that's a very good assessment. I think letting, you know, keeping product designers and engineers you know software or mechanical or electrical whatever uh, engineering background keeping them aware that there's always risks involved right mm-hmm. and whether it's delay in care whether it's inaccurate results whether it's absence of results
0: mm-hmm.
1: right everyone's try to deliver a product that's safe
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it's all about how do you do that in the best way possible and make it so that those risks are mitigated to as low as possible. Gotcha. They're as unlikely to happen and if they do happen, there's, you know, another, there's a fail-safe or there's uh, an actual human there as a gate check.
0: (laughs) So we are helping. I think we have a role to play in helping Mm -hmm. these decisions, facilitating the conversation. So guys, again, exciting conversation. We are right at the clock here, 1130. And, you know, before I close and invite Michael for some closing conversation, I will just share with you a couple of key housekeeping points. In the month of July, we will not have these discussions. So uh, let's go have, you know, a summer off, enjoy life. Uh, Fridays are hard for everybody, I know. But we will come back again in August. Uh, Know that we are planning to meet every Friday at 11 Eastern. So even though you don't get an announcement in your LinkedIn feed, Uh, You can mark your calendar if you're interested in these events and show up because we're going to be talking about these topics in a very interesting and casual way. And finally, I really would ask you to subscribe to my Let's Talk Risk newsletter because that's a great way to catch up on conversations you might have missed, read up on other articles and just engage with the community in general. Uh, Now, I know, Chihaji, you are asking to speak, and I never say no to anybody who raises their hand, so we might run a little bit longer today, but I'm going to invite you to come to the stage and share your thoughts. Go ahead, please. Chihaji, can you hear me? Yeah, can you hear me now, Naveen? Yes, I can hear you. Please go ahead. Thank thank you very much, Naveen. It's just that I want to make an appeal uh, to everyone. I'm doing my master's, and I'm doing a, a research uh um just asking if anyone can support me and uh, participate in it wonderful just thought I use that platform thank, thank you, very you much. for sharing that Chihaji you know this is also an opportunity for all of us to engage and network you can reach out to anybody in the audience of course don't spam them be respectful and connect with anybody everybody and again guys, this is what it's all about helping each other thank you Chihaji uh, with that uh Mike, could you share some closing comments with us
1: sure uh, I'd love to know so just in closing, and know we kind of, we said we were going to talk about benefit risk and we did, but we also, you know, we kept it casual, we kept it naturally flowing so that uh-huh. we didn't delve as deep as we needed to. Um, but I'd just like to point out that benefit risk for AI and ML, for software as a medical device, you know, con- consider the, you know, again, it's not manufacturing physical products, right? There's the failure rates are going to be more tied to uh, let's say how often does something happen what uh-huh. kind of it environment does your product work in what sort of user is the end user what's their profile what's their technical knowledge uh-huh. is it something that's going to occur under routine use is it is it a case is it an edge case is it a very remote theoretical edge case All right uh-huh. and ultimately what are the risks going to be All right if a if an AI and ML product it stops working right there, it's not, you know, it, it's probably not going to shut off someone's uh, life support. Yeah, I, I don't know what's out there. I don't know everything that's out there, but it's yeah, un- unlikely to. Right, uh, it's more likely to cause a delay in care. <laughs> it's more likely to cause an incorrect diagnosis or incorrect. Uh, yeah. You make treatment. a good
0: point. So we had to think about benefit-risk in a more real-world scenario. Mm-hmm. And I think one tip I will share with our audience here is that go look up the the you know summaries or the letters of approval or decisions that FDA publishes about AI, ML devices. I have reviewed many of them. And in fact, it'll help you understand the key factors for benefit and risk that FDA evaluates and looks at and what they think are the right mitigations. I think it will give you a lot of insight. Uh, Mike, I'm sure you have seen some of those, but that's a tip I want to share with the audience. Uh, If you go to FD's website and search for the AI ML devices, you will find all these individual decisions and letters and you can get a lot of information. We'll talk more about this in the future, guys, I promise. But right now, we are over time. So I want to thank you again for your participation. Love that many of you show up week after week. I'd love to hear from you. Please reach out to me directly through direct messaging if you have any topics or suggestions or if you want to join me as a guest speaker. All are welcome. And finally, Michael, I can't thank you enough. Uh, This was for me personally a very fascinating and interesting discussion. I think you can sense that energy in my voice. Uh, Topic is of great interest and hopefully we'll continue to talk more about this in the future. I want to wish you the very best as you develop these innovative products, you guys are doing the, the you know the real work. I'm here just talking about it. So I appreciate the work you guys do in the industry and I'm here to support you in
1: any way I can. Thank you, Naveen. It's been a pleasure uh, being, being a guest and you know, chatting it up about AI and ML. And there risk. you go.
0: All right, guys. Have a good uh, weekend ahead, guys. We're going to take a break for a month from these discussions, uh, but stay engaged. Reach out to me anytime. I wish you all the best. Look forward to meeting you in uh, August once again. Take care, guys. Bye-bye.